This is an extended play from Radioactive. Hi, Laura Jones, host and executive producer. Svetlana of Svetlana and the New York Collective headed to the Orem Public Library November 3rd for a free show. I had a great conversation with her and didn't have time for everything in our conversation. So enjoy Extended Play with Svetlana from Radioactive on KRCL. Hello, my name is Svetlana. I'm a jazz vocalist and composer and band leader, and I'm coming to Utah my first time ever in Utah uh, with my band, The New York Collective, to play at the Orium Public Library on the evening of November 3rd. So excited to have you coming to the Beehive State from the Big Apple, Svetlana. (laughs) Oh, the Beehive and the Apple, they kind (laughs) of go together, so I'm excited too. I agree. I was reading up on your story, and... Is the New York Collective it's a subtle nod to your origins in Soviet Russia? Oh, because of the word collective? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Lara. It's because this weight of being jazz musician is so heavy, you can only lift it together in this <laughs> capitalist system. I love it. Great uh, return there. <laughs> Great return there. Um, so, but you grew up in Soviet Russia as a young girl. Tell me, tell me about life. As a kid in Soviet Russia, what era are we talking? This interview is seven hours, right? Right, exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, it was happy childhood. You know, it mainly centered on your family. You know, my family was lovely and wonderful. And, you know, we did things that were within our reach, which was not much. You know, you couldn't really leave to go anywhere uh, unless you were like a party official, communist party official. Uh, we were just, you know, they were all engineers and you were expected to then be an engineer, like whichever hive you were born into more or less is what your life was going to be. Um, so I, um, I guess growing up, there was not a lot of access to Western culture and it was also looked at as inferior, of course, because it was a culture and uh, regime of oppression, which is ironic, of course, because as we know now, <laughs> not <Yes>. so quick <laughs> was oppressing whom where. Um, but there was a lot of propaganda, you know, and especially when I was growing up, uh, like late 70s, uh, early 80s, just before the whole thing finally just imploded, there was a lot of really heavy duty. It was known as a period of stagnation just everything stopped. They just couldn't pull this anymore. Um, So they really came down stronger on, you know, things that were non-Soviet, but at the same time, by that time, everybody knew. And there was just a lot of joking around about the regime, but um, there were this little kind of splashes of culture. So my parents, like a lot of parents of kids in my sort of hive, you know, had collections of vinyl music, or there was something interesting for you to know. Uh, there was this thing, it was called music on the ribs. On the what ribs? Do you think that is. What yes. is it? Like ribs, like playing the music of your ribs? No, no, not at all. It was illegally copied vinyl records on the big x ray sheets. No way. That's why it was called music on the ribs, because it was often chest x rays. And this people had illegal factories in their apartments, basically, to go ahead and make those copies. And you could play this vinyl maybe 50 times before it completely wore off. And that's how people shared music. 
No, wait. So x-rays turned into records. Yes, exactly. If you Google it, you can still get some of those and they're enthusiasts. But, you know, I fell in love with jazz. It was just so different, you know. Mm -hmm. First of all, the whole, the melodies and the voices, you know, Ella was my introduction and she could just sing anything high or low and it was as beautiful and you know I was a student of music and student of voice early on and just I think the tone is what I fell in love with and then just how the music went around certain notes and you know chromatic passages which was not so typical for you know Eastern European music and the Soviet pop music that I heard and the syncopation and you know, the improvisation, it was just beautiful. And I loved it so much. Um, so, you know, a lot of pieces of joy in this overall pretty glum <laughs> situation. You also found an underground movie house with Western right. films. Tell us about, was it called The Illusionist? I know, right? It, that's the whole beautiful part of it. It was not quite underground. It was actually one of those paradoxes of Soviet regime. So my grandmother, because uh, some of our family served in the military, they were given and were like heroes of the Second World War, which, you know, you just like threw your body on the, on the bomb and you got, you know, all the, all the kinds of rewards after that. Um, they got an apartment in a quite privileged building. The buildings themselves were... Uh, four or five buildings in the center of Moscow, American, uh, Russian architects went to the U.S. and stole the designs, uh, the ideas of like Empire State Building and things like that in the 30s. And then they came back and they built three or four of those buildings, the famous sisters of Moscow. You can put it in Wikipedia and learn more about it. One of them is Moscow University. And one of them is a famous hotel, Ukraine, and another couple were residential. So she got this privileged sort of access to this really small one-bedroom apartment in this building. But it was all very different from how I grew up. I grew up on the outskirts of Moscow in really ugly concrete buildings. This one had mosaics and beautiful paintings and special food stores. They were sort of like to show the foreigners, you know, this is how Soviet people live, should you desire to visit. And it allowed for certain little snippets of freedoms that the rest of us never saw. So for example, there was this movie theater, everything had to be sanctioned. It was not underground. If you did something like this in secret, you were sent to a psych ward or to prison. So it was sanctioned sort of like enthusiasts of movies, sort of uh, club, and it was a small movie theater, like I'm sure you, you know, I have in my little town I live now, maybe, I don't know, 50 seats, 100 seats. And they had the retrospectives or those programs that are specific, Italian cinema, French cinema. And I've spent quite a lot of time staying with my grandma in that building. And we would sign up, you bought a subscription, and you could see one or two movies a day. And... That really, frankly, blew my mind of an impressionable Soviet little child who was just, uh, wait a minute, like women can wear open dresses and eat giant fruit and the movie can be just about love without any hints of propaganda. And of course, music was part of it. So 
uh, it was very interesting that it was called the illusionist because that's how I felt. I felt like a little bunny in the hat of the illusionist being brought to some other place, you know? Now, I understand that the movies of your youth also inspired the album you put out in 2019 and then COVID yeah. hit, I'm guessing no touring in 2020. So you coming to Utah now is picking up that thread again of playing yeah. live music. For sure. I mean, we were lucky to have done things here and there, uh, but generally, yes, we started the touring. We did a sold out release in Joe's Pub in New York, which is a lovely nonprofit venue, really beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, and we have started a little tour, like the Blue Note, Blues Alley, started hitting, you know, Regatta Bar in Boston, really nicely attended, beautiful shows. And then we went to Florida and on the plane back, people were already wearing masks. It was March. And then I remember the venue for the show on March 12th called me and said, this is it. We're done. We're closing up. So... It is silly, but it's de facto continuation of the tour um, to release this record. And um, while I'm already working on something else, but it is music from movies from the entire century, from 30s, 40s, 50s, you know, to 90s and even 2000s. And uh, a lot of those songs are about dreaming and going after something. And I kind of realized that after I picked out the songs, and I think it is interesting that my subconsciousness almost connected me to that idea of what movies were for me, uh, was about dreaming and escaping into some other world, physically really than going after, you know, that world in moving continents, but also in my head and imagining things. So you would hear songs such as Moonlight from Sabrina, which we know is all about this girl who was dreaming to escape her circumstance and, and reinvent herself. Pure imagination, you know, literally the song about imagining and uh, doing something else and taking folks to the world of your creation here as an artist, but some other context there. Over the Rainbow, we know the song has a meaning uh, kind of a secret meaning the person who wrote the lyrics had, was of Russian Jewish origin. He was talking about, you know, one interpretation about his people ex uh, escaping suffering and then escaping the Holocaust, you know, over the rainbow, over the chimney tops, you know, and every song has this little hidden meaning to it, but also it's just so beautiful. So that's the record. Well, there's a song on there I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about. No one's in the house. And in fact, you sing in Russian on that yes. one. Oh, again, that one has so many different layers of meaning to me. So the lyrics were written on by Pasternak, uh, I believe in the 30s. So Boris Pasternak is known in the West as an author of Dr. Zhivago. And the poem, he himself had a very interesting history. A lot of his colleagues, a lot of artists of that era were exterminated by Stalin because Stalin was really afraid of artists because being an artist is being free. And he really put a tight fist about around the artists and um, you had to conform and say, you know, be a witness at the trials of, of your colleagues and friends saying, I detest this behavior. This person needs to be 
put away or worse killed. Now Pasternak somehow survived it and was able to kind of be left alone writing romantic poetry, which is unusual and strange. And, um, but also he had this hidden angst inside of him. And at the same time, he was writing that particular poem, which is really says, no one is in the house, only did the darkness and me. And then suddenly the curtain opens and I see a little flicker of snow and you come in into the room, just like the future herself. And it was when he was falling out of love with his wife and falling in love with this new person with whom he spent most of his rest of his life. And the, the song was, the poem was turned into the song in the seventies to be a soundtrack for this movie, which is very silly and became like a cult movie. It was shown on Soviet TV in the seventies every New Year's Eve because it's about this drunken friends who get together on New Year's Day to go to the Russian bath, okay? And then they all get drunk, they put each other in cabs and go home. Except for they put this guy instead of a cab on an airplane. And instead of ending up on one main street, Moscow, he ended up in one main street, St. Petersburg. And there he walked in and he met this other woman, even though he had a fiance waiting for him in Moscow. And the whole new love began, just like Pasternak as he was writing that poem. And a beautiful thing, just like Pasternak, except the, uh, escaped the persecution in kind of being in this cloud of romantic poetry and uh, stuff, same way the person who directed the movie, The Irony of Fate, which was the movie title, he managed in the 70s, when all the movies had to be about praising a Soviet regime, create this very rom romantic movie that survived the decades. And so here I am now creating a record about, you know, dreaming and living a dream and connecting that song to that theme and concept. So there you go. Sounds like a, <laughs> sounds like a counterpart to It's a Wonderful Life that we like to play here a during the holidays. A little bit, yeah. yes. A little a darker little version, a little Soviet style. Well, I know, right? Lots of drinking, lots yeah. of drinking. <laughs> you had mentioned earlier your little hive that you were born into, and it seems like yeah. a really unlikely outcome that you are where you are, not only because of um, the circumstances into which you were born, but when you immigrated, music wasn't something that you went into right away. You, you've been a businesswoman for years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was, what was your career and then what made you decide, I really got to do this music thing? Well, you know, um, I think, Laura, the truth is I've always known that this is what I wanted to do. So the truth is also having been born into that hive of scientists and engineers, it was almost expected of me to do this. Of course, as any proper good Soviet child, you know, I was sent to language classes and music classes and mathematics classes and pottery classes and gymnastics, and I had to do it all. And then, uh, but when the time came to choose a profession, um, I was really torn. Like I wanted to be an artist and my earliest memories are of drawing or painting or singing, but I was just like uh, expected to do something else. And I conformed and my parents were my mom was literally born in the middle of Second World War. 
uh, she was almost lost in the snow after she was born. Physically, her mom lost her and then went back like, and said, oh, wait, here's my kid. So for them, they were too scared of doing anything that's risky. And they really um, kind of made sure that whatever I do creates a safety net for me, you know? And they were not wrong because that allowed me to later, after I finished my mathematics degree, go on and start the jazz degree. And then opportunity presented itself and I came here and I kind of had to dial back again and say, okay, well, I'm here by myself. I have to support myself. And it was easy for me to start pursuing more practical career. And I, I did that for a while. I always kept my toe in music. And I guess I just at some point kind of felt it's now or never. So it was on pause, I would say, for a, for a while. And then I came back to who I am. You know, that's how I, I feel, really, you know. Well, COVID put a pause on things for a while, and now you're back again to your true love, making music. You're going to be here November 3rd at the Orem Public Library. Yeah. The email I got said November 3rd and 4th. Is it just one date or two? It's one date, and we will come, unfortunately, uh, again with... The pandemic, we know that it took a real uh, toll on um, on kids, and so I, I, with my personal situation and my family, I just my hope was to be part, make it part of a larger tour, but COVID just has been so devastating in so many ways. Uh, some of the venues that I've been speaking with could not host me. Um, my family really needs me. So I'm just going to fly in for a day. Then on the 4th, we're doing a clinic in one of the local schools in the morning. And then sadly, I'm flying back. But I got a ticket just so I can spend a day just driving around and admiring the natural beauty <laughs> of, of Salt Lake City. And I'm very much hoping to come back with a you know longer set of engagements because you certainly have in Utah several presenters that are presenting really solid, beautiful program of jazz. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll be, uh, the landscape and the people will inspire you for some new compositions. Uh, I wanted to share the song Young and Beautiful as we leave here, our conversation. Tell me a bit about that. Well, this was originally an outtake from the album. It's just at some point, you know, there were just too many songs and I uh, just got a couple that we recorded and put them away. And then when the pandemic hit, I was just like, okay, here, <laughs> get it. Um, it is a song from Great Gatsby, which again has such a dreamy sort of history about it. And as a side note, I just performed in New York and Long Island in one of the mansions in Long Island, there was an inspiration, now a hotel, uh, for Great Gatsby, which again, has a history of uh, escape and prosecution. It was owned by uh, a Jewish banker, German Jewish banker, who loved music, who loved music, but chose a practical path, um, was immigrated to New Jersey, or his parents maybe uh, came to New Jersey, and then, 
he um, was trying to join golf clubs or, you know, other private clubs and individuals of Jewish descent were not allowed to, not so long ago. So he moved to Long Island and built, he set out to build the biggest private residence there is just to show. Uh, and um, the song is uh, by Lana Del Rey from the movie, The Great Gatsby. And it just kind of talks about love in the time of privation, you know, in the time of uh, still being able to share love in the time that is very challenging. Um, you know, it says, will you still love me when I'm no longer young and beautiful? Or will the world still be that beautiful even though we're hurting so much now? So that's the song and it's a bonus track. You can, it's not on the physical CD or on the vinyl record, uh, that I made uh, off the record, but it is out there on Spotify and iTunes if you wanted to listen to it after this program. Svetlana of Svetlana and the New York Collective, a jazz group that's going to stop at the Orem Public Library November 3rd, 7 p.m. No ticket necessary. You don't have to register, but it is first come, first served, so you're going to want to get there early. Thanks for listening to an extended play from Radioactive and KRCL.